0: Sweet Dreams, the 1986 advertising jingle for Nestle's Alpine White Chocolate Bar, and the reason why I played that I will explore later on, and I, I promise th- there's a method to my madness. But speaking of madness, welcome back to Goofcast. I'm your host Michael Prims. So glad to be with you here once again, talking about movies, talking about specifically TIFF 2023. So, for the past two weeks, I've been attending the 2023 Toronto International Film Festival, the 48th annual Toronto International Film Festival. And it was quite, quite the great time. Really enjoy going to TIFF. And I just wanted to talk about my experience at this year's festival, along with the movies that I watched. If you're expecting me to go into like some crazy number of movies, like 20, 30 movies, I ain't that guy. Maybe turn the podcast off. I just saw six movies. Uh, it was six trips downtown um, at a time where I'm dealing with a lot work-wise, school-wise. So um, I, didn't, I didn't see it all, definitely. There was a lot to see that I didn't get to that I'm looking forward to seeing on DVD home video. But I uh, do want to talk about the six movies I saw in the festival overall. So this was my second year in a row and my second time in my life attending the festival and going to all types of different movies. Prior to 2022, what I would do is like pretty much just go to Midnight Madness. And Midnight Madness, what that is, if you're unfamiliar, it's the programming section of TIFF dedicated to mainly horror, but also quirky and weird movies, usually in the genres of comedy and fantasy, as the name suggests, all movies premiere at midnight. It makes for a really strange but fun time. It's always a, a fun vibe to go to these movies uh, that are usually a bit offbeat or strange. And you like emerge out of the theater at like 2 a.m. It, it's a it's a fun vibe. The first time I ever went, and the first time I ever went to TIFF, was back in 2013. Back in 2013, 10 years ago, me and my cousin were, I think, pretty much at the end of high school, going into university. And we were just getting into like kind of offbeat media and horror movies and stuff like that. And my stepmom somehow scored tickets to Eli Roth's The Green Inferno premiering at Midnight Madness. I don't know how she got these tickets of all tickets. Maybe nobody at her work wanted them it was essentially Eli Roth's version of *Cannibal Holocaust*, a movie where a bunch of tourists or researchers or uh, foreigners, if you will, uh, crash land or visit an island inhabited with a native population that is set set on like slaughtering them and torturing them and eating them. Maybe not uh, the most appropriate uh, depiction of indigenous cultures these days, but f- from a B movie shock standpoint a pretty fun time and we went down to this screening at the Ryerson Theater uh, not knowing what we were getting into like all right this movie's at midnight what's going on we were actually like a little bit scared of the movie we had seen you know some of the classic horror movies but this was going to be an all-out gore fest and and kind of torture porn if you will uh kind of movie so we were like a bit on edge but we got in there there was a beach ball being tossed around and we we were like we thought it was weird that like people were saying stuff during the ads like you do at tiff like there's that piracy ad and everybody yells ar and then there's usually an ad for it i think it started with an ad for l'oreal but now it's an ad for i'm gonna butcher this name it's that fashion brand Buvulgari. Bulgari, is that what how it is? Is that how you'd say it? You could tell that like I don't wear anything nice because I don't know how to say Bulgari. Yeah, the Bulgari ad, it has like a very uh, like an easy beat to it, and everybody claps along to the ad. So we were kind of confused by all these people like reciting different things to the advertisements. And Midnight Madness are is kind of where these crowd traditions at Tiff kind of start. So we started our own. We just went shook, shook, shaka. And then every time we've been to Midnight Madness or like a late night movie premiere, even at uh, Toronto After Dark Film Festival, we've made it a point to shout out shook, shook, shaka. But we had such a great time. The movie was really cool. It was sick that we just walked in there and there was Eli Roth taking his pictures on the red carpet. And uh, ever since then... I would always just like check out the Midnight Madness movies of the year. I didn't really care about the wider TIFF movies. I wasn't really into film, I would say, for a good portion of my life. It only really started for me during the COVID lockdown where I got really into watching movies and reviewing movies um, for this podcast and also uh, on my Instagram, and then that turned into Letterboxd. And then so 2022 TIFF, I was raring to go. And uh, it was a similar vibe this year. So that's a little bit of my history with movies, the festival, and whatever. So let's get into TIFF 2023. The biggest thing about TIFF 2023 that everybody was talking about is that this is a tiff that happened during a writers-turned-actor strike. So that usual glitz and glamour of all these celebrities being in Toronto, it being announced in advance, people going down there not to watch movies or engage with the films but to like sightsee and get autographs uh, or to try to get a picture with them and the stars like camp out of a theater for six hours to see Daniel Radcliffe walk in. I think we actually saw that back when Horns came out. I think it was like that a little bit too last year for Weird Al, uh, which I was at. That was a great Midnight Madness. It, It kicked off the festival, or it was the first Midnight Madness of 2022. So with that element not there and only certain director actors being there like if you directed and acted in the movie i think you're allowed to be there there were certain film companies like a24 and neon that were able to get an agreement from sag actra that stated that they had followed all the rules and therefore their actors and their movies could attend the festival which happened for dream scenario the new a24 movie starring Nicolas cage which I had the pleasure of seeing, not at the premiere, which I will explain why I was not at the premiere of that. I really wanted to be at the premiere of that, but at the second showing, uh, second and final showing. So was it, did it feel different at TIFF with all these celebrities missing? Yeah, it did. It felt like that kind of magic you have when you're walking on King Street or walking beside the theaters that like, anything could happen, and, like, the celebrities are everywhere. I remember last year, walking down Festival Street, walking down King Street, oh, there's Lil Yachty, what? Oh, there's the cast of The Handmaid's Tale, what? Oh, there's the premiere of The Whale, and I see Sadie Sink and Brendan Fraser walking in, crazy. Like, that vibe is always super exciting, and it draws a lot of the mainstream, non Like film head audience to TIFF and that was kind of missing like on the Friday, which is usually one of the most or like the first Friday of the festival rather, which is usually one of the most buzzed days of the festival where there's lots of people like there was an outdoor Nickelback show. And there were all these people there watching Nickelback. And that's kind of cool. There was a free Nickelback show. They had a movie premiere at TIFF on the Friday called Hate to Love about how they are this, like, hated band. And they're like, well, it's the pendulum swings back. Everybody loves Nickelback. And I don't think that's the case. But there were a lot, a lot of people uh, standing in the middle of King Street watching Nickelback. And the place had the vibe of, like, the Leafs' home opener. Or something, or like the Leafs playoffs, not Tiff. Uh, it was strange. For the record, I couldn't even see Nickelback. There were so like I, I couldn't see them with my eyes. There were so many people, and I I didn't need to like uh, push into the pit to hear uh, how you remind me. Um, I don't think Nickelback deserves all the hate that they get, and there's plenty of worse bands from that era. And the they do have bangers, unlike. You're like Hinder, who has like one song or like uh, what's that other band? Theory of a Dead Man, which are a little bit more annoying. But are they a great band? I don't think so. I don't think so. Anyway, so, yeah, vibes were off. Uh, also, they didn't have the free Nespresso tent back on King Street. That was super upsetting. I I, I saw where it was. I put my hand on the ground and cried. Uh, because I was getting free free coffees left, right, and center by simply being interested in buying an espresso machine, a trick that I use all the time at Yorkdale. I go in there like, hmm, oh, this is the new one. Oh, what's the difference between the big pot and the small pot? Can I try both coffees? I walk out of Yorkdale absolutely, a- absolutely buzzing, uh, and I was doing that at TIFF, and it was great to see movies with a coffee buzz. But I had to purchase my coffees uh, legally uh, this year with uh, real world money, not just uh, a fake interest in a machine, in an espresso machine. But anyway, um, so yeah, it was a bit different. That is to say, though, they still scheduled some pretty awesome movies and there was still celebrity experiences to be had. There were a lot of celebs in town still some of the bigger celebrities include Sylvester Stallone closing out the festival with his documentary Sly about himself, Salma Hayek, Jessica Chastain, Ethan Hawke, and daughter Maya Hawke. Uh, what, where am I? Uh, the Bird Sanctuary in Niagara Falls? That's a lot of Hawks. Spike Jones, as well as The Talking Heads, premiering the remastered version of Stop Making Sense with a Q&A with the band which was really cool because it was the first time that the band was in the same room since two thousand two, I believe, which is pretty neat, but people were like, "I gotta be there, I don't care how much it costs blah 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 and I'm like they're not gonna sing, dude, like they're just gonna sit there and like awkwardly answer questions in the same room because somebody paid them all to be there, and you can watch the movie at home and save that money. Maybe it won't look as sharp, but at least you can dance around with nobody watching. I don't know. Willem Dafoe was there. Uh, one of the biggest celebrities, uh, a household name, if you will, that was there. And his band even played, Finn Wolfhard, uh, one of the one of the foremost A-list celebrities in Hollywood currently. His band played there, and he premiered a movie uh, as a part of Midnight Madness. It was a horror slasher movie. And in my head, that was... Uh, not a movie that I was interested in seeing. I was like, why am I gonna go out at midnight on a weeknight with work in the morning and put myself into detriment, put my health on the back burner to watch a child's movie? A child's movie. I'm sure it's it's decent and you got some decent uh cash to fund it, but it's a, a child's movie. Like this should be playing uh in, in a basement at York University um to watch a young man's first feature film, 20 years old. Take it easy, Finn Wolfhard. Anyway, um, that aside, let's get into some of the movies. So, yeah, vibes were a bit off. I agree. Hopefully, obviously next year, the, hopefully the strike is over. Give the people what they want. There is an entertainment renaissance right now. There is so much money to be made in, in entertainment. Everybody's dying to go to the theater. We saw the big... Big uh, return with Barbenheimer and all the movies of this summer. What are you doing? Gave your head a shake. Execs and pay writers, pay actors properly. Don't turn this into a thing of like, oh, yeah, I think Brian Cranston makes enough money. But how about a, a, a Tuko from Breaking Bad? Is he is he making his residuals? is, uh, what's that guy, Badger, is, is Badger making his money, is Combo making his money, is Crazy 8 making his money, is Skinny Pete making his money, so the point here is, like, pay all the, all the B-list actors from Breaking Bad, uh, if people are still watching the show to the caliber that they were in 2013, which they are, maybe even more, so yeah, anyway, movies, well, let's talk movies. Like this, sweet dreams you can't resist. A dream as sweet as this, and he has to be happy. Alpine, white, Alpine the very best. sweet dreams you can't. right, so first off on the Friday, the first Friday of Tiff, the second day of Tiff. I saw They Shot the Piano Player, which is an animated movie directed by Fernando Truba and Javier Mariscal, which is about an author's quest to unearth the history of the Bossa Nova sound in Brazil while also exploring the death of a prominent drummer in that scene named Tenario Jr. Before this movie, I was kind of tired, uh, so I bought a coffee at the TIFF concessions and they're like, we just got a new coffee. We have Lavazza coffee now. And we were like, wow, ooh-ee. Because before, the TIFF coffee tasted like it was brewed in the popcorn machine. But I was stoked on this Lavazza coffee. Me and Emma, we take a sip, and the coffee is strong. It's too strong. They didn't pour us a medium cup of coffee. They poured us a medium cup of pure espresso. This is the Rob Ford special. This is the drink that probably killed Rob Ford. And I was like, I'm I'm tired, and this could maybe bring me back to life. Like, I was going to sit there in this movie, and I was going to drink six shots of espresso. And Emma's like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go back up, and I'm going to get us actual coffee. Lo and behold, yeah, there was an error. They They gave us six, seven shots of espresso, And then they gave us a normal Lavazza coffee, which I thought was better than the popcorn brew, for sure. They Shot the Piano Player had its world premiere at the Telluride Film Festival, which was directly before TIFF, with Venice being directly before that. Uh, Had its premiere at Telluride, came to Toronto. It's supposed to be hitting Sudbury, Calgary, and Vancouver. Basically, if you live in Canada, even if you're in a small town... They Shot the Piano Player is coming to a theater near you for an exclusive, quote-unquote, premiere. Whether you're in uh, Grimsby, Ontario, Moncton, New Brunswick, Dildo, Newfoundland. If you're even in a place where uh, sled dogs outnumber people, they're going to bring They Shot the Piano Player to your hometown. Even if you don't have a theater, they're going to beam it onto the northern lights, I hear. But anyway, uh, (laughs) at TIFF, I was at the first showing of it, and somebody came on stage and said, hey, the director, Fernando Truba, he was dying to be here. But his flight was canceled two times. And me and Emma looked at each other with a bit of a raised eyebrow. Like, how do you plan to go somewhere? And your flight is canceled two times. Seemed like a, like a bit of a fib. Like, what was he flying over here? Like a a Zeppelin? A, a, a blimp? <laughs> like the, the Wright brothers plane? I, I had to get canceled two times. But I don't know. I'm going to have to trust the TIFF programmer at their word. You know, who, who am I to say that the festival began with a lie, a bold-faced lie to the film goers on a Friday at 3 p.m.? I had to leave my class early. First class ever. Uh, t- trying to become a teacher here, trying to start my career. I had to skedaddle out of there. Tarnish my good name. It's come today. Shot the piano player only to be lied to. Hope not. Anyway, they shot The Piano Player. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Essentially, there is an author uh, in real life who had compiled all this research and started to look into the disappearance of Tenario Jr., and it touches upon the politics of Brazil at the time, how a dictatorship, how a right-wing fascist government can squash arts and culture, a lesson to us all here as certain areas in the world kind of head in that direction. And it was a good exploration of the history of bossa nova music. As somebody who works in background music, I deal with bossa nova a lot. Some people still think that elevator music is background music. And if you're going to borrow a lesson from the Blues Brothers that the girl from Mimpanema is just playing in hotel lobbies, you know what? In some places it still does, and there's a good reason for it, because it sounds quite nice. It was really cool to learn more about this genre of music, how it started, how the movement ended. And to top it all off, the author was played by Jeff Goldblum, which it was pretty funny and like kind of cool to hear his voice in there. And he fits in well because he's a pretty big jazz head himself. He tours with a jazz band called Jeff Goldblum and the Mildred Snitzer Orchestra, if I recall correctly. But to hear his voice in there kind of took me out a little bit. Which was kind of funny because I'm like locked into the movie learning about jazz. Then I hear him go like, oh, well, this jazz song is quite exquisite. And, like, there was one part where he just goes, like, yay, and the whole crowd, like, kind of lost it, which was pretty funny. All the main Brazilian bossa nova artists were in this, which was pretty cool, using their actual archived audio that the author in real life had recorded. Like, you saw Joao Gilberto, Caetano Velasso, Gilberto Gil, all, like, animated with their actual voice, which was quite neat. I guess I would dock this movie a few points because it's just bringing the story of an established book to life through the animated medium. Like they didn't reinvent the wheel here or have a, a like a, like a completely original story, but it was still presented really well. I love the animation, I love the music, and uh, if you are interested in this period of music history or you like jazz or bossa nova, I would recommend it. Uh, Also, if you like learning how politics influences culture, I also thought that aspect was cool about it. And yeah, I'm giving this one a 7 out of 10. Now, a big drawback with TIFF this year, although they didn't have the star power, they really raised the prices. I was looking so forward to being at the Dream Scenario premiere, knowing that as an A24 film, the actors have the possibility of attending and that star power would be there. But all of the premieres to any of the movies, regardless of attendance or not from the cast, were $88 a ticket to watch a movie at a time where you don't even have the star power. Even if you did, that's a lot of money. It's, it's a movie. I mean, it's the idea that if I wait, I could potentially see this for free on one of the streaming platforms or for $15 at the local Cineplex, or Imagine Cinemas, or what have you, at your local theater. Or you could just look at the Northern Lights if you live in uh, Atawapiskat, Ontario, and you want to watch They Shot the Piano Player. The point is, $88 for a festival that is supposed to be called the Festival of Festivals, the People's Festival, that doesn't sound like it's for the people at all. Um, Maybe Bell is not paying enough money, or rbc or these other sponsors bulgari the the bulgari check didn't come in this year well the bell check actually is going to stop because they are um stopping their support of the festival and tiff after i believe supporting tiff since 1995 or at least 2005 when the tiff bell light box was built now it's going to be i don't know the the TIFF President's Choice light box, perhaps uh, Galen Weston, the the hated conglomerate of the Loblaws President's Choice supermarkets is going to try to play ball with the people by, uh, yeah, I know chicken costs $50 for two chicken breasts, but uh, I'm now a patron of the arts. Uh, Enjoy the new A24 movie uh, for $50 instead of $88. I, I don't know. But $88, too much to watch a movie. So didn't go to the premiere of Dream Scenario because of that, which sucked, but um, could essentially see more movies for my dime because the regular screenings were $30. That's already an upcharge, but I get it. It is a film festival. It's going to be a little bit of a, a higher echelon experience than going to your local theater. But yeah, $88 is ridiculous. Anyway, Dream Scenario, second showing at the Scotiabank Theater. Uh, That was a great movie. The premise is that Nicolas Cage is a, you know, kind of like a mealy mouth professor, kind of a nobody. And then everybody starts seeing Nicolas Cage in their dreams. And a lot of sort of social commentary and funny situations come out of that. And it kind of plays on our perception of somebody going viral or becoming famous overnight and the different ebbs and flows that could take. It's a really cool movie, and I would really recommend watching it. It was shot very well. It was actually shot in Toronto. Um, not gonna go through all the filming locations, but they do shoot at the Elgin Winter Gardens Theater, which if they premiered the movie at the Elgin Winter Gardens Theater, that would be kind of cool. It's now your kind of in the theater that they went to in the movie that'd be pretty pretty meta pretty uh a a big uh, a deadpool meta moment but it it premiered i think at the at the royal alexandra theater so lost their shot there but i thought it was a a really awesome movie also really funny i thought great acting great scripts and i would recommend that one Besides Nicolas Cage, Dream Scenario also stars Julianne Nicholson, Michael Sarah, and Tim Meadows, and it was directed and written by Christopher Borgley. Originally, Ari Aster was set to direct this movie, off the script written by Christopher Borgley, where Adam Sandler was going to star in the lead role. That would have been pretty interesting. Hey Adam Sandler! Adam Sandler! I did dream about you! Ah, hey, shut up! I put the mic so far away, I <laughs> I hope that wasn't too loud. Anyway, I'm starting to feel like Nicolas Cage is a bit of a go-to guy if you have like a weird, surreal, kind of B-movie style script. Like he's the guy for that and you need like a somewhat mainstream actor. But he does kill it in this. So if, if you want to keep having Nicolas Cage do his thing in these movies, I am here for it. I give Dream Scenario an 8 out of 10. Definitely recommend this one. Then on Monday, September 11th, I went to Midnight Madness. Now, for Midnight Madness, I'm usually you know, picking and choosing and, and narrowing it down. Like, okay, how many movies am I going to go into the city at midnight to watch? I like, can't watch them all or else I'm going to just be like a zombie in my day-to-day life. So, got to really narrow it down. This year, the Midnight Madness offerings I didn't think were all that great. There were some foreign movies that looked okay. There was Dick's the Musical, which I hear is good, but it looked kind of lame. It's cool that Larry Charles has another uh, TIFF movie coming out, premiering at Midnight Madness after the disaster of the Borat premiere in 2006. You can read more about that by searching at Crazy Toronto Hist on Twitter, which is my... uh, like history, Toronto, weird stuff, Twitter account. Um, I have the story of that there. But on to this year's Midnight Madness, there was really only one film that stood out to me that I really wanted to watch, and that was Agro Drift, the newest movie by Harmony Corinne. Harmony Corinne, I think, is a bit of you either love him or you hate him type of director. He makes movies that kind of feel more like music videos, feel more like a vibe, kind of light on plot and really big on, like, surrealist, dreamy. Usually, like, Florida is a big theme in his movies, at least the last few, thinking of Spring Breakers and The Beach Bum, both of which I really enjoyed. Uh, they're kind of hazy, they're kind of funny, they are kind of have that, like, coming-of-age, like, malaise mixed with, like, some surrealist, crazy stuff going on. And Agrodrift Drift looked to be way more out there than Vanessa Hudgens and Selena Gomez waving around guns because this movie was filmed and presented entirely in infrared. So thermal. The whole movie's in thermal. And my experience with thermal thus far in my life is when I'm playing like a first-person shooter and I accidentally press the wrong button and the screen goes thermal, you hear a noise like, and it's like, oh my god, what did I do? Oh, R3. Okay, don't press that button then. But... Here I am going into the city at midnight to watch a movie in Thermal. And this movie had a notorious opening, a controversial opening. It was in Venice where it premiered. And apparently a lot of people walked out. I feel like walking out of the movie is such like a dramatic thing. It's like you paid this like upcharge in ticket price to be at a festival movie and you were walking out. Like, just, I'm just imagining, like, high heels, like, clopping. If it's a man or a woman and going, like, I've had enough. I'm walking out. But I don't know. Even if I was watching a total piece of garbage, I don't think I'd walk out. But then, like, if you're a guy who's, like, there for the press or whatever, or you have, like, 30 movies lined up and you're going to walk out of one of them because you're hungry or you're tired, like, all right, if you're that guy, fine. But if you've gone all the way into the city in your high-heeled shoes, to watch uh, Aggro Drift. I would see it through to the end. The movie is also only 80 minutes, so I don't know how much time was saved by walking out. The cast for this movie on Wikipedia only lists two names. Jordi Mola, who plays an assassin in this infrared Florida-filmed movie, and also Travis Scott as a character named Zion. And yeah, lined up for this thing, had a bit of a weird experience there was a guy behind me that I can only describe as the sickest guy I've ever seen. Now, he wasn't doing a backflip on a skateboard wearing a Supreme hoodie and a bathing ape pants. You know, he was sick as in ill, as in there was just snot leaking out of his face. Like, this guy looked so goddamn sick. He was doing, like, comically loud sneezes comically loud nose blowing like if you if you were like a cartoonist and i said draw a sick guy a guy who was ill a guy who's fallen ill you would uh draw this guy clutching a bottle of gatorade like i looked behind it he was like he was white as a ghost and this isn't even a horror movie we're seeing at midnight madness is a just a weird surrealist movie so i didn't want to be seeing any ghosts So this guy's behind us, and the whole time I am just on the edge. Like I hope this guy is not sitting beside me. Oh, my God. We, like, got in, and I am so sorry for whoever ended up sitting next to that guy if he stayed for the entire screening, but for the love of God, if you are that sick, why are you watching a movie at midnight that's going to come out? It's going to come out eventually. I don't understand that. When I'm sick, when I'm under the weather, if I was as sick as that guy, there is nothing I would hate more than having to go to a theater at midnight to watch a movie in infrared. I'd be cuddled up on the couch, Kleenex box on one hand, orange juice, Gatorade combo on the other, watching a movie on my TV at home, which is actually a pretty great time. So you could still watch a movie, just not in the theater. What's going on? So thankfully didn't get... uh, Uh, put next to that guy was really spooking me out sat down and harmony corinne comes out and uh, he introduces the movie everybody's cheering for him he's like what am i drake which is cool because just like harmony corinne and like rappers it's like a like a combo handshake even back in the day of him directing kids i think that was in 95 but uh yeah the movie begins I had so much fun watching this movie. Is it a great movie? No. Is it a just okay movie? Yes. I think some people love it, some people hate it. I think it was just okay, but it was super funny. All the dialogue was very like like off the cuff. And kind of felt like shitty video game dialogue. Like a cutscene in like Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Grand Theft Auto is a huge influence on this thing. Just how the characters move. And especially seeing, I think it was in Miami. So there you go, Vice City. And uh, it just reminded me of playing video games on my PS2 back in the day. Uh, The music is fantastic. Sort of reminding me of like Yeezus Era Kanye really industrial really um you know like trap beats meet like a kind of like ethereal sound really enjoyed the vibe of this movie harmony korean knows how to provide a vibe and provide a vibe he did uh i think sell like selling this movie with like travis scott as a tagline is kind of stupid because he barely does anything in the movie he's in it for like maybe 10 minutes and doesn't do much. I actually thought this movie was headed somewhere plot-wise. I was really enjoying it to the halfway point, And then it kind of fell apart a little bit. And the ending kind of was a little anticlimactic. But I still had a great time. I think if I watched this at home, I'd be at a 6 out of 10. But it has that little bit of a bell curve uptick because I had such a fun time in the theater. Everybody was laughing. Everybody was cheering for this really funny and weird character with this like funny and weird wife and family as well all seen through an infrared lens and having harmony corinne there being his notorious harmony corinne evasive question kind of on drugs kind of self which you can see in those uh those crazy david letterman interviews where he wants to kick him off the show uh he was on full display there uh, Peter Kaplowski, the programmer for Midnight Madness, he tried his best to get through the Q&A, but Har- Harmony Corinne was giving him a pretty hard time. And Harmony Corinne came out playing that Nestle Sweet Dreams commercial jingle off his phone into the mic, and we vibed for it for a good, like, 40 seconds. And thank you, Harmony Corinne, because this is maybe the best commercial jingle I've ever heard. It's been in my head for now, going on over two weeks. Or no, it's been a week and a half. But still, uh, really cool. I didn't know this existed. So, always cool to be exposed to a, a new uh, pop culture weird thing, niche thing, that I had no idea about. Harmony Curran, the curator of vibes. This movie, a 7 out of 10. Maybe with a little asterisk on it. Then, the next movie was the movie that opened the festival. Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron, the latest from Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli, premiered at TIFF, which is the first Miyazaki movie in 10 years following The Wind Rises back in 2013, which also premiered at TIFF. The Boy and the Heron both premiering and opening up TIFF 2023 is also very cool because it marks the first ever animated movie to open the festival. The fervor for this thing was insane all over reddit everybody was willing to sell a kidney in order to get a ticket either to the premiere or even one of the subsequent screenings uh i'm not the biggest anime guy but i know i knew emma really wanted to go and also like it would be cool to see like the big movie of the festival which the boy and the heron was the big movie of the festival was the Fablemans last year and i kind of wish i saw that at tiff so that was uh, this was my chance to see the big tiff movie of the year So, I was on the hunt for a screening as well. They kept adding them, they kept getting sold out, but then something interesting happened. After I had bought my initial round of TIFF tickets, I saw on Reddit that they were planning on adding a screening of The Boy and the Heron on Saturday, September 16th at 5.30 at the TIFF Bell Lightbox. So, I went online to buy tickets when it went on sale, and I didn't see it listed, But I saw a movie listed called 16 on September 16th at 5.30 at the Bell Lightbox. And I thought to myself, I think they made an error. And instead of typing The Boy and the Heron as the title, they typed 16. Maybe because they hit tab or something and it's September 16th. So I decided to take my chances and buy two tickets to the movie 16. Where it's like, if that is a movie where it's some in like new indie movie called 16, which I did not see playing at the festival at all. I guess I'm screwed and I got to sell these tickets or I guess go go see 16. But uh, it ended up being the boy and the heron. Uh, so I was pretty stoked about that got tickets and went to go watch it. It was really cool to watch an animated anime movie at TIFF, like with a similar minded crowd like that was really cool. There was a Japanese boy, I think he was Japanese, and his father behind me. And I am I am not a guy that tolerates talking during the movie in a movie theater. I hate that. Usually, I have a, I have a shush and a and a, and a finger to the lips at the holster for such behavior. I have uh, me and my friends have almost gone into physical altercations over talking in a movie theater, but this kid was like talking to his dad saying like, who's that? And what's going on? Uh, like during the movie and I thought I thought it was very endearing and if it is the situation where this is a Japanese speaking uh, child and he's watching the, this movie and he's not even well he he doesn't have to read subtitles with his father as a foreign language film, that is really cool and makes for a cool experience for the kids so if that is the case that's awesome but It's also awesome to bring your kids to TIFF if they're well-behaved. If they got to ask a few whispered questions, that's all well and good. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll probably take my kid to TIFF one day, maybe even Midnight Madness. But uh, we'll see. So thoughts on the movie. So a lot of people have described this movie as Miyazaki being the most Miyazaki. People said similar things for the last Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City. It's Wes Anderson being the most Wes Anderson. However, I don't think that that critique is valid for making a movie that's convoluted, which I thought The Boy and the Heron was. I also thought Asteroid City was. There's a lot going on, and it's all kind of in service of a central point. A lot of Miyazaki's works involves a kid or a child like, with a problem going through like this fantasy journey to arrive at a conclusion. A realization and the boy and the heron is no different but the path it takes to get there is it's a lot it's a lot of different stuff it kind of loses you and grasps you again but by the end you're like oh okay i can i can see what it was trying to do but i thought there were some great visuals uh look out, hot topic and uh kiosks in the mall everywhere there's a new fluffy miyazaki friend coming to you very soon called the wara wara uh, everybody that you see those Miyazaki plushies everywhere, you're going to be seeing a new one called the War of War, a big goof cast exclusive. It's coming soon. He knows how to make a cute, cuddly little character that you can sell for millions of dollars in merchandise. Uh, good on you, Miyazaki. But, um, yeah, I think the movie was cool. It felt personal to Miyazaki, but it was also a bit all over the place and a bit convoluted. And it's interesting that a lot of people seem to think that way to a degree. Nobody wants to admit that like it wasn't amazing. But like I'll be if I got to be the guy to break the trend there, which I'm probably not. Like uh, like I've seen the letterbox reviews and and there are some mixed ones. Um, but like I don't I don't think it was as good as it could have been. Um, I was a little bit like, I guess, disappointing just because, like, it could have had a more straightforward story uh, a bit or, like, some, like, wider themes than all of this pizzazz and symbolism all in service of one narrative point. Um, I gave it a 6 out of 10. It was still a very entertaining watch, and if you like Miyazaki, I would definitely recommend it, Uh, but it just kind of seems like nobody wants to admit that the dog took a poop, but... Like, like no like everybody smells it but nobody wants to admit it but I don't I don't think it was that bad that's a bit of an exaggeration but uh yeah uh Boy in the Heron uh interesting watch for sure that'll be out later in December apparently it's coming to IMAX which I think would be pretty cool I watched it pretty close up to the screen because all the seats were taken and I actually ended up enjoying it um although the, the, my neck was a little too far back but uh yeah it was a good time Stinker alert, stinker alert. Let's talk about the one stinker I saw this year before we get to the best movie I saw this year at TIFF. I didn't see a stinker last year at TIFF, thankfully, but this year, I was not so lucky, got a stinker in my lap. That was the movie Fingernails, directed by Christos Niku, starring Jesse Buckley, Riz Ahmed, and Jeremy Allen White, and also Luke Wilson. This movie had an interesting premise to it, Uh, A woman begins working at an institute that works to determine if the romance in a given couple is genuine. Kind of started like kind of Black Mirror-esque, kind of like a, a satirical. The method in which they find out if your love is true or not is pretty interesting and out there. I won't totally spoil what that is, but halfway through the movie, we're led to believe that this is not a satire, Black Mirror, Twilight Zone kind of thing, but like Something that we should be taking seriously and it gets really, really ridiculous and like extremely cringe. I thought Jessie Buckley was kind of terrible in this. She does not sell like her character all that well. I'd had no like... I did not like her character or emphasize with the character. Riz Ahmed and Jeremy Allen White, two big names, but they don't really do much. They're kind of wallpaper. They even make Jeremy Allen White cook spaghetti because they're like, oh, it's hey, Kami. hey, cousin, you got to make the Sunday sauce. I feel like Jeremy Allen White needs to come out and say, hello, everybody. I know it has been led to believe that I am an Italian guy from Chicago who is a a yes chef. I'm a name chef, but, you know, I am not. And my cooking skills are probably above average, but uh, not where I have to cook food in every movie. He he was whipping up the spaghetti. He was you know he was uh, doing like a like a like a whirlwind with the tongs. Like he was he was really pizzazzing it. And I thought like oh this is like a little tip of the hat to the bear. Uh, but anyway, yeah he wasn't really a standout in this movie. I didn't think that he did much. Neither did Riz Ahmed. Uh, this was also filmed in Toronto. Where they showed the Paradise Theater and not the Elgin Winter Garden from Dream Scenario, maybe they could have premiered this movie there and offered very limited seating, so not many people would have had to watch such a bad movie. That would have actually been a good idea on the on the opposite front. Uh, also doing the the Deadpool meta narrative, but anyway, fingernails. It was a movie where. Um, Everybody was into it at the beginning and laughing with the movie but by the end when it was taking itself too seriously, everybody was laughing at the movie. Uh, the tone in the theater like changed so would not recommend this one but if you are down to watch it, it comes out uh, at the end of October on Apple TV. Uh, so if you got uh, if you just bought a new iPhone for two grand, You can probably watch this movie for free because they'll give you like three months of Apple TV or something. Also, I think it's just her face, but like Jesse Buckley has this half smirk throughout the whole movie. And it's almost like a like a wink and nod of like another Deadpool meta narrative, mind you, of saying like, I know this movie I'm in is bad. They truly saved the best for last. The last movie of the festival on the last day of the festival that I watched ended up being my favorite of the festival and that was The Holdovers, directed by Alexander Payne and starring Paul Giamatti. I thought this was fantastic. The premise is that a teacher at a rich private high school has to stay at the high school over the Christmas break to watch a bunch of teenagers that they weren't able to go home to their parents, and long story short, it ends up being just one student that he has to watch, and he kind of connects with him, and I won't, Spoil what the details of the movie are, but it kind of goes into how people, you know, aren't what they seem on the surface and how everybody is sort of fighting a battle and that being empathetic to people is just always worth it and valid because you never really know what somebody's going through, even if you think you have it figured out. It was really awesome. I like that Paul Giamatti is a history teacher, mind you, an ancient history teacher, and I am currently on my way to becoming an. a a history teacher not ancient history though I don't know I don't know anything about that if it happened before the renaissance I don't want to know about it that is my history tagline maybe that'll be on the wall of my classroom one day maybe not doesn't really um it doesn't really incite curiosity um but anyway uh I had a really fun time with this I thought it was a really really sweet movie I watched this at nine in the morning like I woke up at 7 a.m on a Sunday and headed into the city coffee in hand, to to watch this at 9 a.m. And this was truly kind of a special festival movie because this movie went on sale and nobody really cared. There were tons of tickets available. Nobody was buying them up. But as people started to watch this movie at the festival, the hype was building, how good it was, was being spread around. And by the end of it, that final 9 a.m. on a Sunday movie, it was sold out. I watched that with Ryan of Real Deal Cinema. We both had a great time watching this well worth the breakfast movie. Although I didn't eat breakfast in it. I think that'd be kind of a, a, a messy to have a, a syrup in the in the movie. I don't recommend that. But uh a really cool movie. Loved the way it was shot. Loved the music in it. The like barren like winter landscapes with uh, kind of like acoustic, like Baroque pop kind of sounds reminding me of Sufjan Stevens. Some of the more flavored instrumentals reminding me of a band like uh, Karangbin or something of the sort. Just a really cool movie. Acting was fantastic. Uh, Shout out to uh, Divine Joy Randolph, who played a cafeteria lady uh, also having to stay over the winter break, who was fantastic. And this is uh, pretty much a Christmas movie. Um, I talked about this, I think, in the Home Alone episode. But in terms of like type one, type two, type three Christmas movies, where type one obviously a Christmas movie, your Home Alone, your Elf. Type two, their Christmas is happening throughout the movie, but it's not not directly about Christmas. Your Die Hard, your Eyes Wide Shut, and then type three, Christmas is happening at some point in the movie because they're going like through the year or like through a large time span and Christmas happens such as the first Harry Potter movie such as Green Book I think I would mark this type one I think it was Christmassy enough to be a type one Christmas movie so add this one to the Christmas movie collection watch It's a Wonderful Life watch Charlie Brown watch Home Alone and watch The Holdovers this Christmas this holiday season bake the cookie trim the tree get cozy, and uh, yeah, this one is great, or you can go to the theater. Oh, Goofcast HQ has just informed me, my uh, uh, 19 salaried employees have just informed me that this movie, The Holdovers, is actually coming out on October 27th, not in December, as it should. So, my advice here is to hold, hold hold off on seeing The Holdovers until December. Make it a Christmas watch. Why they would release this Halloween weekend, I have no idea. This is not a Halloween weekend watch. If you think you're going to go see the holdovers prior to going to a Halloween party, you're going to show up with your significant other. You're dressed as itchy and scratchy. You go in there and you got you know Halloween snacks from the trick-or-treat box. Uh, shoved in your pockets Reese's Pieces and, and uh, coffee crisps and you think that's the vibe you are doing the movie at the service and yourself at the service do not see the holdovers on that weekend if I go to the movies that weekend to see a horror movie or another seasonally appropriate movie for Halloween in the fall I may just go to the holdovers cinema and pull a fire alarm so therefore, you're given a free voucher by the cinema for the movie interruption, and you're able to use that for a possible holdovers reshowing in December as part of a special um, you know, Christmas programming block that sometimes theaters have. No doubt the holdovers will be shown again uh, at that point, as it should have originally been shown. So that's my advice there. Thank you so much for listening to this. A little bit of a longer episode here. I'm, I'm approaching... Uh, I'm not going to say how many minutes because I might edit it down, but it's got a little long, but thank you for sticking around and hearing about my experience at TIFF 2023. It was a great festival despite the uh, off vibe a little bit and the $88 premiums, which weren't very nice. Uh, And I encourage anybody who's interested in movies who lives in the city of Toronto or is close to it to attend TIFF next year. It is a great time. It's a cool chance to see new movies and discuss them with the fine people on Reddit and Letterboxd and the like. There's a cool community around it too. And uh, yeah, lots of movies that I didn't end up catching at TIFF that I look forward to seeing when they come to VHS DVD home video, such as Richard Linklater's Hitman, Woman of the Hour, The Contestant, daddy Anatomy of a Fall, and American Fiction, which won the People's Choice Award. Didn't hear too much about that one. It kind of came out of nowhere. But that also speaks to that TIFF magic of like a movie coming around, getting buzz, and then the subsequent screenings have more of an attendance. Same thing happened with The Holdovers, which had the runner-up prize for People's Choice, and The Boy and the Heron, just because of its sheer buzz and amount of screenings, taking third place. Thanks so much for listening. I've been Michael Prims. You can find me on Instagram. At its goofcast. You can find me on Twitter at Michael Prims. You can find me on Letterboxd at Michael Prims as well. And then Twitter, I also have at CrazyTOHist, where we discuss crazy moments in Toronto and GTA history. Be sure to check that out as well. Have yourself a great morning, evening, afternoon, or night, and all the best.